Welcome to the Earth Demons Podcast. My name is Serena Simons, and today's episode is going to be super fun and adorable. We're going to be talking to a seven-year-old and his parents about climate change. I want to know what his parents think we're getting right and what we can maybe improve on as we continue to teach our kids about this really important topic. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. Humans. I'm kind of nervous about this. <laughs> Just be like, my name is, and I am this many years old. I'm seven. I'm in first grade. That's Rowan Podolsky. Well, the climate, if the climate change is to like, way hot, like hot in winter and the plants flower like in winter, then when the bees wake up, they'll have no nectar. Because of COVID-19, Rowan has been doing a lot of online school and his dad has been listening in. And as an avid environmentalist and climate change advocate, Matt has been a little confused. Confused with the way climate change is being taught to Rowan and the takeaway message that these kids are getting as something that they can fix by their individual actions. And because neither Matt nor I are early childhood education experts, we brought in Miranda Podolsky, Rowan's mom, who is. We're going to have a really exciting conversation with nuanced arguments about the way that we teach and engage kids on this important topic without scaring the crap out of them. (laughs) So let's get into it. Here is Matt Podolsky, Miranda Podolsky, and Rowan Podolsky on climate change. Rowan, do you think climate change is scary? What do you think about it? I think I'm tired of learning about it. You're tired of talking about it? Yeah. I also think it's scary. Yeah. What what scares you about it? Well, I'm scary about climate change killing me. Climate change making a wildfire and I'm in that forest where the wildfire is happening, then it would burn me to a skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Climate change is really scary for me too, even though I'm a grown up. Um, you know, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you today is to get your seven-year-old perspective on the world, especially since when you are grown up, you're going to have to be dealing with climate change a lot. Well, yeah. How do you think you'll deal with climate change as a grown-up? I think I would ride my bike a thousand times more than <laughs> than driving a car and not turning on the lights so much and leaving them on all, mm-hmm. leaving them off all day so then it would be that's kind of funny because when it's close to night we won't be able to see a thing 
Rowan recently presented to his class about wildfires specifically and how increased wildfires are a direct result of climate change. Now I made a picture of, I'll explain it with you. And as you see, as you guys see, I, I didn't forget greenhouse gases. The sun has nothing to do with the problem. Instead, it is the greenhouse gases that are warming up the earth, so then it makes wildfires more likely to happen. And now there's something called a positive feedback loop. Here's an example. Climate change makes forest fires more likely to happen than forest fires release CO2 and the CO2 makes, makes climate change worse. I think you should go first. Okay, hi, I'm Miranda. I am a kindergarten teacher here in Idaho and I work at a private school. And it is the same school our son Rowan attends. Yes, we are the parents of Rowan, who's like the real guest um, <laughs> for this episode. But yes, I'm Matt Podolsky, co-founder of the Wildlands Collective, frequent collaborator on Earth to Humans. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for letting Rowan talk to us for this episode. Um, he gave us a little, um, you know, he we talked about. Uh, Godzilla for a little bit you know we talked about how he doesn't really like the outdoors much but he appreciates the out like he respects the outdoors he's a he's at a stage where there are very few things that he will tell you that he likes but there are a lot of things that in the moment it appears at least to us his parents that he is enjoying himself Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so he tells us all the time that he doesn't like spending time outdoors or he doesn't like hiking or backpacking, um, or, backpacking or going on walks. But we do these things all the time. And it seems to us as if he's mm-hmm. having a good time. Uh, we did a trip to Redwoods National Park and did a just like a overnight backpacking trip. And the first day of the backpacking trip, we got like we were, what, a couple of miles in or something. And he declared to us that it was the best day of his life. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then it was the most marvelous night ever. Well, like the once we get, once we returned night. from the trip, right? And we were like, Rowan, like, what was your favorite thing about the trip? He was like, I didn't like anything about that trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the worst day ever. I'm like, well, good thing yesterday was so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, to be seven again. Yes. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys about what I was asking Rowan about, which was about climate change because, you know, Matt and I were talking on a call and he was kind of um, not commiserating to me, but just sort of like thinking about what he'd been listening to all day, you know, with Rowan on his online classes and um, the way that he's being taught climate change. And so, you know, like Matt, you're very, very, very deeply involved with environmental issues and climate change issues and so you know I think that you probably have pretty strong feelings about these issues to begin with but I'm curious about 
you know, what you think the average parent should be kind of thinking about with this and what was going through your head when you were hearing, you know, Rowan giving these presentations and, and just sort of, I guess, the the feeling that these kids can make a significant impact with their individual actions. I feel like, Matt, you were really frustrated with that particular element. But just just in general, I'm curious what you guys think. Like, is Matt being like overly climate change militant or is, you know, is this something like the average parent should be thinking about and, and, and engaging with their kids about? I mean, I don't know. Like I, I think, I think these are really hard questions and I mean, they're really hard questions for adults. And so they're even more difficult as we think about like how kids should be taught climate change. And I certainly like, I'm not an expert, but like what what I know is that like when I'm talking about climate change with other adults or here on this podcast, right? Like I am very cautious about the messaging that that I use and and I mean I know you are as well, Serena. Um and you know, we try to avoid portraying falsehood right? Mm-hmm. Or presenting falsehood. So, I mean, I don't know. There's I don't even know where say. to start. I All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, it, it is a heavy topic, right? So when you talk about climate change to young children, like you also want to give them a foundation of you are a part of a bigger picture and you, mm-hmm. you are going to have an impact on this in your lifetime. And the topic can be so heavy and you just really have to be mindful of, of what you, the words you are choosing and, and how you explain it. And I understand that aspect of giving kids that hope. Like, here are, like, what are some things you can do? However, like, turning the water off when you brush your teeth or turning mm-hmm. the light off when you leave the room, those, those are great things to still be mindful of. However, they're not going to be the impactful things mm-hmm. that make change happen. Right. And like as a society, a huge amount of the messaging that we get connected to climate change is along those lines. Right. Mm -hmm. Of like everybody's fixated on like what the solutions are. Right. And in in, you know, in the space that that we're in, Serena, of like, you know, uh, uh, storytelling and, and media production associated with climate change, like these are really contentious issues. Right. Um, there are a lot of climate science educators out there that believe really, really strongly that you have to present a message that has some hope in it and that you have to present solutions to people. Otherwise, they're just not going to listen. And like, I think there's a certain degree of validity to that. But when you at a certain point, you cross a line and you're just lying to people, right? You're telling them that if you turn a light off when you leave the room, Mm -hmm. that you're a part of the solution. And that's Mm -hmm. not true and there are a number of like academic researchers that have like sort of analyzed this idea in more depth and uh have like expressed these ideas about how like that messaging can actually be counterproductive in some situations right because if you are successful at convincing someone that they're a part of the solution if they do a handful of really simple things like riding their bike to work, turning off the lights when they leave the room, taking shorter showers. 
if that person believes that they're doing their part by doing those simple things, then they're not going to do the work that is actually required for us to avoid catastrophic warming. They're like, that's good enough. Right. It's like, even if every single person on the planet was doing what that person is doing, then we wouldn't even be close to a solution. Right. And so like, if you're telling kids, you know, that then like, I feel like that's deeply problematic. Yes and no. I I see what you're saying. I I see that. However, they're, you know, six, seven and eight year olds. Like you can't have this conversation without giving them that little piece. And, you know, I am grateful that at seven years old, our son knows what climate change is. Yeah, totally. I am really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful that other people told him. (laughs) Like, like, and, and maybe it's because like, like he got information from other people and yeah, it's up to us how we frame it from here on and being mindful of that as our own family and, and things that we do on a bigger scale that aren't just those little things like, Oh, well, we mm-hmm. have solar panels. Why did we decide to, you know, go into debt to get solar panels? Why was that important to us? Why did we decide to um, have a zero scape land, like garden in our yard, having those kind of conversations now we can relate them back to climate change as well. Right. Um, however, like, I don't know if in, if in kindergarten I would introduce climate change. However, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, that we're more like, let's build a community. And we talk more about, like, what are your jobs in our community? And how do we help each other in our community? How do we handle discourse and conflict resolution Mm -hmm. and just like really working on those skills but those are also skills that I believe will lead them to climate change Mm -hmm. you know like like as a community we need to face this as a community we need to do this right and I mean I would argue that like those lessons that you're teaching kids are exponentially like more beneficial within the scope of climate change than just like sharing the information that hey you could like turn the lights off when you leave the room or you could try to encourage your parents to drive their car less you know what i mean like mm-hmm. uh, i mean mm-hmm. but at the same time like it you know I, I mean i am i agree with you i'm glad that like rowan got sort of like an overview of this issue at a young age right, right. i mean i think but like, there are there are parents that don't you know that anything a kid would get at school about this issue that's all that they would get you know sure. and so i think that's when it becomes important to really yeah think about language and think about the way that we're doing this if that's the only the only information that they're going to get until you know they're an adult and they're able to kind of seek their own information but that those are such formative years right you know I, and it makes me think too like you know, the way that we teach about slavery in this country and the way that we handle, um, you know, active shooters in classrooms. You know, I've been um, listening to the way that some teachers of very young kids um, almost have turned it into kind of a game to do some of those kinds of drills, like, because they don't really understand, like, what's happening. Like, conceptually what is even happening and so in order to get them to do like task a and task b and task c you have to like kind of like suspend disbelief a little bit um and then you know as far as slavery goes we are not 
and and also <laughs> colonialism in this you know and, and and native genocide like we we do not do a good job of of teaching that history and we you know we fudge it to make it more comfortable for the teacher and more comfortable for the student and then we're not conveying actual truth and information but you know minority kids who are influenced by systematic oppression in this country like if you take a black kid um, his parents are giving him very different real life information than, you know, his white counterpart at the same school. So that's sort of that kind of like, I see that com- comparable to what you guys are doing with Rowan. You guys have the the gumption and the know-how to, to kind of like strive for these better alternatives in your own lives in ways that are actually impactful and meaningful and you're you know imparting this on Rowan and you're obviously you know like doing a really great job of that and he's just getting all this extra information outside of school and then you know those minority kids are also getting you know a similar outside education uh, from their communities and their neighborhoods Um, but I wonder if that sort of information should be mandatory in like giving those white kids the opportunity to see that perspective and see how you know how uncomfortable that is and how difficult that is and um you know just just getting deep in that conversation at a young age because it you know it exists like climate change is real um racism is real like all of these things are uncomfortable and real and hard but yeah, as Miranda says, like we we if we just bombard them with doom and gloom, they're either going to be so like disheartened or they're just not going to care, right? Like it's just like like maybe though, but I mean, I like it. I guess I I guess I question that to a degree, and mm-hmm. part like and that that's sort of at the core of a lot of the conversations that Miranda and I have about this, right? Is like like I wonder because I. I really don't shy away. Like, I mean, like you said, like, I don't, I don't totally blunt and honest with Rowan when he asks questions about climate change and about racism. Mm -hmm. Um, And it like, it doesn't phase him. Like, you know, it it doesn't appear to phase him. Like, it's not like, it's not like, you know, it's like I've, I've shared some pretty dark, some pretty dark, heavy stuff, you know, uh, with him. And he totally takes it in stride. And he's like, all right. Uh, what I wonder is if we're tiptoeing around young kids based around this idea that like they're not ready to like receive this information that it's gonna like you know uh, like it's gonna traumatize them or they're not like capable of fully understanding it so uh, you know I don't know but like that doesn't in, in my you know in my experience interacting with Rowan like that doesn't pan out you know Matthews. and and i think that like i feel like talking with one kid is completely different than talking to a class of like 20 kids sure sure yeah and i think about myself too at at rowan's age i mean i'm a very i'm a a very empathetic person mm-hmm. and as a kid i was incredibly like so sensitive and just anything like that i you know i just took it in i just wore the whole world on my shoulders when I learned like information or you know saw sad things or you know saw anybody in pain or you know I just like soaked all of that up so I mean I think that's interesting like that point Miranda is like I think that there are some kids that yeah like Rowan that can you know like take these things in stride and and that's great but like 
with with curriculum, right? It's this like overarching thing that every kid gets, and we it's it's hard with the way that our education system works to like tailor make curriculum or tailor make the way that we share this information to individual kids, right? So, like, how do we, yeah, how do how do we reach the Rowans or like the really empathetic, sensitive kids without traumatizing this group or you know what I mean like there's just such a spectrum of kids and different needs and like I I don't even know what the what that would even look like I mean I think so okay one of the things that like that makes me think about is like something that my mom says all the time right so like my mom also has a background in early childhood education and was uh, a preschool teacher for many years and was the director of a nursery school for many years um and like her advice to, to us and, and to my sister, you know, in communicating with her kids is always like give them the opportunity to ask questions mm. and that they're not going to ask, like they won't ask a question that they're not ready to hear the answer to. That, that's just what mm. I was going to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and she emphasizes be totally honest. You know, I mean, it doesn't like I like you could leave things out, you know, but like give them an, an honest answer. Um, and if they're the ones that ask the question, if they are seeking that information out, then like that's an indicator that they're ready mm-hmm. like to receive that information. Mm-hmm. Well, then should climate change education be optional? I mean, like what, depends like, on what state you live in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we just had something be approached to our state legislature here in Idaho that is mm. very controversial. Mm. Yeah, that's but, yeah. That, that's a whole other. Podcast. That's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so many topics and issues. Right. And, yeah. No, I mean, I think like I could I could imagine like like a curriculum that still includes that, but like you know. Um, I don't know. Like, what? What do you like? What is that? Like, what I what I just said, and you obviously agree with it. Like, what is? How does that translate into like a classroom setting or like curriculum? <sighs> curriculum. <laughs> curriculum. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, like a lot of this di- type of curriculum is teacher driven. You know, like it's the teacher mm-hmm. creating this wheel. And I'm trying to think like differentiation for like literacy and math. Like that is way easier to go about than differentiation for climate change. Like who's ready mm-hmm. for what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, like right now Rowan is in a multi-age classroom where it is first and second graders. And maybe the second graders can handle, handle you know, slightly more complex content than the first graders. But that's, you know, a blanket statement, I also feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that concept of a child won't ask a question that they're not ready to hear the honest answer to, but that doesn't mean every child in that classroom is ready to hear that answer. Right, sure. One kid asks a question, exactly. and then all the kids get the mm-hmm. answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think being mindful of that, um, Matt did give a speech to Rowan's class, and uh, I heard, yeah, yeah, and there was a little girl in the back corner crying her eyes out. I heard. <laughs> so you know, like, not everybody's ready for the answer. Right. right. Um, you know, like just compassion and kindness and you know like like this is something we have to think about every day and unfortunately like it's a problem that Rowan will see needing salt in his lifetime mm-hmm. and so part of me's like well great he's hearing about it at age seven 
he has his whole life to really think about it. You know, like, school helped introduce this. Like, it sits on his mind. And we can help support what he think like what he thinks moving forward mm-hmm. and you know like what's hard is like maybe not all parents know that because he was sitting in the kitchen taking classes with you overhearing his lessons and not all parents had that luxury mm-hmm. and so and also not all parents you know that's their part-time job <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we're we're fortunate in Enough that, like, we're mindful of it. We can help guide him and help mold his mind moving forward. But, like, I think he knows that, yeah, I shouldn't litter and I should pick up trash if I see it. But I also think he understands, like, that's not going to solve climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, like, these are things that he's picked up based on our behaviors, not from school. Sure. Mm-hmm. But do I think all kids should be learning this? Yes. I mean, that's part of the reason I switched from public school to private school. And I'm not saying public school teachers are not teaching it. I'm just saying I have a lot more flexibility in what Mm -hmm. I teach and how I teach it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, like, you could... I think that one could consider some of the teaching that you do as falling into this category of, like, lessons that... Like, like you're not teaching about climate change, but you're teaching lessons that those that like will be helpful as those kids grow up in a world of deeply affected by climate change. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about like just sharing the specific information of climate change and what it is and how and why it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also about teaching the skills that kids are going to need as they grow up in a mm-hmm. world Deeply, yeah. That's that's, going to need some problem solved. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, on that note, and you can choose not to answer. I mean, whatever. Um, I'm just like curious because I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, as like friends of mine start having, like, intentionally start having children, which is like very new. Not what we did. He, he knows but he's like, an accident. We're all accidents in this room. <laughs> but, you know, just the question of, like, should we be having children? And so, like, since you guys have Rowan and you are aware of these issues and the implications and sort of, like, where we're at and kind of the like this tipping point for our future on this planet, like, how are you guys... I don't know. What are you guys thinking about when you're like raising Rowan and like talking to him about the future and, you know, like wanting him to succeed and just like have this beautiful childhood. But I don't know. I feel like in the back of my mind, I would just constantly be like, am I lying to my kid? Like, you know, do I, you know, I I want my kid to, to dream and, and um, just dream of dream of a world that like is. I hope he's happy. Mm-hmm. And I hope he continues to be mindful of the things that we deem important in life, in society. I mean, are you guys scared? Like, like, a little. Yeah. A little. Only a little? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, sca- like, I mean. Can we start apocalyptic training at what age? <laughs> right. I know. I know. <laughs> Get him prepared. I know. I don't know. Oh. Uh, I mean... I think, like, 
it's like it's an, it's an impossible question you know mm-hmm. um it's like uh like matt never thought he'd have kids i don't know if like if if we hadn't had a whoops like i don't know <laughs> if i ever would have gotten to a place where i would like have um intentionally made that decision but like like because i know that i'm actually like extra glad that that mistake happens you know what i mean um because it might i, I might i might never have had these experiences and we wouldn't have been together if... i want <laughs> <laughs> Well, Matt, on that note, like, you know, well, not everyone, but like most people sort of know having children is like one of the worst things you can do for the environment, technically. But, you know, like we also need to raise good humans to steward the future. Like that's a necessity for the survival of everything on this planet, right? Like we we need that. Um, But – you know, you were saying you, that wasn't sort of the path that you maybe thought you would go down. Um, but now that you're on this path, like, do you think that it's changed your perspective? Like, having a kid now, like, do you think that's shaped you or changed you in your relationship to the environment and climate change? Yeah, definitely. Or And if so, definitely. how? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am much less... Uh, apocalyptic in my thinking than I used to be. Um, I'm more. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, I mean, like, I I feel like it's it's easy to just kind of have the mindset of like, like climate change and all of these, I mean, everything, all the sort of issues that we talk about, right? Which are all interconnected. And I don't think of it as like disparate issues are just like the one interconnected sort of global crisis that we're going through right now. Um, it's, it's easy. It's easier for me at least to just be like, we're fucked. Um, but I feel like I, I, I feel like I can't go to that same place that I used to go to because of Rowan. Because if I just say we're all fucked, then it's like, well, like, what about him? Like, he's gonna live longer than me. And it's it's one thing to just accept that. I, I, I set him I, up to fail. I know exactly, yeah. exactly. I don't yeah. want. I mean, I don't. I don't want that, right? I mean, I, I, I certainly like am not. I'm not like lying to myself in in thinking about what his life might look like and and like the things that he'll have to deal with you know because of the climate crisis and all these other things but I guess it's forced me to think more deeply about like realistically like what's the future gonna look like you know because I'm not just I'm not just imagining myself on that path any longer I mean, and that's that's really beautiful, and like I, I think that that is like I'm I'm glad you've gotten to that point, you know, because I think that helps you interpret these issues to others in a different way too, you know. Sure. sure. Um, 
Like when I gave the presentation about climate change to Rowan's class, what I tried to do at the end to like reframe it and not focus on like things that kids could do in the like immediate future Mm -hmm. to uh, affect climate change. Cause I'm like, they're kids. Like what can they do? You know? So what I did is I tried to get them to think about what they wanted to be when they grew up and what jobs they wanted to have and Mm -hmm. how that job, how they could envision that job playing a positive role on climate change. What a great thought experiment. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if, like, I don't know if it really went anywhere. I don't know if anybody really, like, because it was just a one presentation and, 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 like, you know, there was no follow-up on that. So I, I don't know if, like, any of those kids really put some thought or if they were prompted to, like, put additional thought into that. But, you know, I mean, that was really what I stressed in my presentation mm-hmm. of, like, this is something, like this is not the first time you're going to be hearing about this. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to be hearing about this issue your whole life. So think about like what kind of career you might want to have and like Mm -hmm. what career you could have that might allow you to like, you know, really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Serena, did Rowan talk to you about his presentation that he gave to his class about climate change? He did. He did. Yeah. He, I mean, he retained, he retained that, you know, I mean, yeah, he still explains the positive Mm -hmm. feedback loop and like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. He asked me like, why is it called positive if if what happens is it's negative? (laughs) And then he asked me, he's Mm -hmm. like, so when you get a COVID test and it's negative, that's a good thing, but the positive feedback thing is a bad thing? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, wait, you're too smart. Uh Like, I'm just like, I get where your questions are coming from. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's a confusing yeah mm -hmm. that's confusing yeah well you know like just to kind of wrap up i guess um you know matt this whole conversation got started because you were you know like frustrated with the way climate change is being taught but i mean what is the most important thing that we could be teaching kids right now it sounds like it's not even climate change education it sounds like it's like how to be a good human I mean, I think it is, you know, I think, I think it's like, we need to, it's like, we need to reverse engineer it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need Mm -hmm. to, okay, here's the big picture issue. Like, what are all of the different, like, like skill sets and like knowledge bases that we like want this younger generation to develop so that they're best positioned to like, you know, address all of these different components of this issue as they grow up. You know, I mean, there's there's a there's a lot there, right? But I think thinking about it that way, like, makes more sense to me than just like, let's make sure they understand what it is and what's happening at at the earliest age possible. Mm-hmm. The community building is probably more important in the long run than just the basic information about what climate change is and why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But obviously you need both at a certain point, you know what I mean? And, uh, like, it, it's good that he got that sort of community building first, you know? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I guess, like, I'm not really the right person to be, like, saying what, you know, I mean, what do I know? I don't know. <laughs> You're like, all I know is turning the water off isn't going to fix it. I mean, here, here's what I know, right? Like, here's what I know, and what I know is that Like, I heard Rowan say this numerous times, and I heard other kids in his class say this numerous times, and I don't think 
like it, it it's just what they're saying is is an expression of like what they got out of a particular particular lesson it doesn't mean that like that's specifically what was being told to them but mm-hmm. like when i hear that sort of takeaway right so like a couple times i would ask rowan after he was on a call where they were talking doing one of their climate change related lessons i'd be like you know what did you like give me your overview like what did you learn you know in this class <laughs> and i mean at, at one point he was you know he said something along the lines of well, we have to turn lights off in or, like when we leave the room, and like that's mm-hmm. how we're going to solve climate change. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm like head and head to palm, like, you know, I, like who knows what what the like what the teacher said. It, it's like it, I, I, it's really easy to imagine a a message that would make complete sense to an adult, mm-hmm. right? Because it has the the context in there mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. understanding of like the complexity of it, and that like. That's a good thing to do. Turn your lights off when you leave the room. Ride your bike to work. Those are good things to do. But you doing that doesn't mean that you're solving climate change. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of kids are taking away from it. You know, so it's like it has to be framed differently. And I don't know what that is. You know, I don't know what that looks like because, you know. But then like, well, well why is our house not as impacted by if we remember to turn the lights off or not. Well, we have solar panels versus our neighbor's house that doesn't have solar panels. But, well, what happens to our, our excess energy? Where does that go? You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, but then again, we're also very mindful people about our energy usage, whereas not everybody is. Mm-hmm. Right. But I also think it's problematic to talk about climate change solely within the context of individual energy consumption. True. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and like it's you know if you have a classroom of kids and you know one kid is like oh my parents put solar panels on their roof and like my parents like drive an electric car or whatever like okay great your parents are wealthy you know like they were able to like spend a bunch (laughs) of money like on those things like does that mean that that kid is doing more to help climate change than some kid whose parents don't have enough money to like afford Mm -hmm. those things like no of course not and you don't want to create a situation where that one kid is like, oh, I'm not, like, well, then it's doing the things. Issue, right? You know what I mean? No, but that's the thing is that there are solutions. They're not solutions, right? But there are, like, things. Like, if I was telling, like, talking to an adult and trying to, like, help them figure out, like, what they could do to, like, contribute productively to this issue in a positive way... Like Boat. it wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be, it would not be like go buy an electric mm-hmm. car and put solar mm-hmm. panels on your roof. You know, that mm-hmm. would be way at the bottom of the list, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vote would be at the top. But I think we can tell like from my experience as an outdoor educator and working with kids a lot, like kids are smart and we need to stop tiptoeing. I think they, they just, they're smarter than we give them credit for. And like, if we started teaching kids like about our judicial system and voting and the impact that voting can have on all these other issues like how cool would that be you know when rowan is you know rowan and his peers are you know in their 20s and 30s like how cool would that be like to set them up for you know that kind of thinking 
Totally. But, and like, you, know, you did a whole lesson on, on the election, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'll be honest, like my thought process just went to like, I need to make that like an every year effort versus yeah. once every four years. Right. Yeah. Not just during you know? presidential like, elections, yeah. but exactly. every election. Yeah. Like, yeah. However, the kids were super into it this year because of the presidential election. So we read Duck for mm-hmm. President. Duck's a silly fool who gets elected and like doesn't like the job. <laughs> so he goes to a higher office. And doesn't like oh. the job, and he's eventually voted president. And he doesn't like the job; like it's work. You know? yep. <laughs> he originally doesn't like being on the farm because he had to make the coffee and sweep the hay. You yeah. know, something silly like I that. Know. It's, well, and that's, then there's that book sounds a little too close to reality for exa- me. It yeah. felt like reality, like between <laughs> voting for Trump and voting for Biden. But uh, we were really happy about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it just it, it sounds like keep having these conversations with young people. And letting them ask these questions, giving them honest answers. Yeah, it's obviously like a super complicated issue because we're dealing – it's not just like one issue. We're, this is like the, the ripple effects of the decisions that are made in a given situation have really, really vast implications for the future. So when we're dealing with kids, it's not just it, – it's very gray. Like it's so gray. It's never black and white. Um, and, and it's just always going to be complicated, right? Because we, because they're kids, because they're kids. So, and it's such a huge responsibility to be a teacher, right? Like that can't be overstated. <laughs> like I just, you know, I think back to some of my teachers growing up that were incredibly impactful to me and like the care that they put into every day of class and, like how that really shaped my decisions, my perspectives, and I think like where I am now. Like I just I just feel like that can't be overstated. And Matt, you're right, like teachers need more fucking funding and we need more teachers that are excited to be teachers in the classroom. And um, you know, yeah, I just you know, I know that we don't have <laughs> all the answers, but um, you know, I really, really appreciated this conversation with you guys, and um, I, I definitely learned a lot. And I don't know if I want to be a parent, but you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing was Rowan said that when he gets older, he wants to be um, a film director in Japan, making Godzilla movies. So I need you to ask him like how he's going to make that, you know, that career choice, like you know, climate change friendly. Too, oh so. yeah, that's a good call. Well, we've- I tried to inspire him. I asked him, like, how could you use Godzilla to help teach about climate change? And he didn't want to go down that path. But I tried. He's like, you're going to ruin it, Mom. You're going to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Try and take his interest. Um, I I would like to add that I appreciate all teachers willing to have this conversation with their classroom. mm -hmm. I would like to add that. Thank you to all those teachers out there talking about climate change and being willing to be uncomfortable and having the conversations. So I'd like to just mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for talking about climate change. Yeah, thanks, Serena. Thank you. I think it is going to look better. Better? How do you think? How so? I think people will... We'll make remote control bottle caps that go in the trash automatically. 
I think I'll be the one to invent those things. If no one ever does. So we, so it could be easier to like bust climate change out of here and climate change wouldn't happen ever again. I think I'm gonna be a filmmaker. Like, I think I'm gonna have every job. I'm gonna be a gorilla. <laughs> This is the first time I've ever held a wild bird, you know, a bird of prey in my hand. It's just like holding a baby. It was super calm. You know, I was calm as well. And he said, all right, just let it go. And I just let go of my hands and this bird just took off. On the next episode of the Earth to Humans podcast, we're going to learn about one of my favorite groups of animals, vultures. So my name is Monir Varani, and I'm the executive vice president uh, for the Peregrine Fund Royal Center for Birds of Prey. Munir is a world-renowned expert on birds of prey, with a special focus on those who scavenge for a living, the vultures. We'll be talking with Munir about his critically important work uncovering the causes behind plummeting vulture populations in India and East Africa. We'll also talk about how Munir and his partners are working with indigenous communities to find solutions that benefit both local communities and vulture populations. It promises to be a fascinating discussion, so I hope you'll tune in two weeks from now. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Earth to Humans podcast. Earth to Humans is a production of the Wildlands Collective, and today's episode was produced by me, Serena Simons. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all things Earth to Humans. If you'd like to hear bonus content from today's episode, including a video of Rowan's entire class presentation about wildfires and climate change, it's adorable. You can join our Patreon campaign for the show by going to patreon.com slash Wildlands Collective. With a small recurring donation, you are providing the resources that allow us to keep bringing you important conversations like today's episode. For additional show notes, visit wildlandsinc.org ETH224. Our intro music was edited by Wildlands Collective member Jason Milligan, and music for today's episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions. We'd also like to give a special shout out to some of our more recent Patreon donors, Deidre, Megan Reich, Greg Mercer, thank you so much, as well as to our longer standing donors, Matt, Rob Nelson, Kristen, Greg H., Laura Douthit, Graham Rue, Monique Rydell-Fortner, and Ronnie Haddock. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We do this kind of work because of people like you, and we wouldn't be able to do it without people like you, so thank you. That's all I have to tell you. Stop. Stop recording.